Amen. Um, you know, like many of you, I've had to, over the last few weeks, navigate uh, the different situations that we're being faced with, the changes that we're being asked to make, and um, even the loss of uh, close friends. And uh, I have used worship and prayer and um, and the Word, really, to just anchor my heart at so many points. And so, um, just continue to, to cling to what you know is true. And so, today we're going to continue through our, our series, um, To Trust the Story. And so, if you want to grab your Bible, if we can go to Luke uh, chapter 1 and Luke chapter 4. Um, if you want to go ahead and open your Bible to that, we're going to get to that in just a moment. I do want to say thank you also to... Um, those of you that have been giving online, uh, dropping checks off at Dakota Land or mailing them in, um, our giving was uh, strong for the month of March, and we just encourage you to, to keep that up. We thank you for your faithfulness to it, and, uh, and uh, for those of you that have given toward the Help Fund to enable us to help some of our families or some people in the community that are in need, uh, we appreciate that as well, and so thank you for your faithfulness. And um, if you're just tuning in for the first time, we've been in a series, today is part four, of uh, trust the story and today I actually entitled the message the gospel of the kingdom and for a while I've wrestled with whether or not we should even do this series this series seems like an academic series and um, it may not encourage you or inspire you the way that uh, maybe a, a different message would during this season of COVID and all of the things that we're facing um, but I believe that what God is doing, I believe this series was set up for such a time as this, because as we come out of this time, I want us as a group of believers to really know the word, to know the story that God has been telling from Genesis all the way through Revelation, and to know how to live our lives. And so we're going to continue through this series um, from now until December. And so I guess 2021 is going to show us whether or not this series was successful in our lives and whether it's producing uh, the type of fruit that I'm hoping it's going to produce. And so parts one through three, you'll be able to find online. You'll be able to find uh, on our, our podcast. And they were a very brief, very, very brief overview of the Old Testament because many people today, many Christians see God in the Old Testament as angry, um, as full of wrath. And they think he's a different God than the God of the New Testament. But I don't believe that's true. I believe God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's revealed himself that way. And I think God was as merciful in the Old Testament as the New Testament. I think we just don't know what we're looking for. We don't look at the scripture through the Eastern eyes, through the cultural eyes. And so that's what we've been trying to do. There's a movement today to really unhitch the Old Testament from our New Testament faith. And I think that's an error. I think we need to understand the Old Testament to fully understand what God is doing and what God has done in the New Testament through Jesus. And so um, we talked about the, the Exodus and the people of Israel coming to Mount Sinai last week and how that's a picture of a Jewish wedding ceremony. And as they're there and as Moses comes down from that mountain, the, the people of Israel literally are committing adultery with God or with this idol against God during this wedding ceremony. And yet in the middle of it, Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. God is merciful toward the people and uh, he continues on with the ceremony, even in spite of their um, colossal failure, if you will, 
But what has been exposed through that test, remember we've talked about God wants to test us. He wants to experience together with us what's in our hearts. And so even when it seems like a colossal failure, what's happening is we're getting a chance to see uh, where we are. And oftentimes we're lacking. But yet God doesn't show us our lack so that we feel bad about ourselves. He shows us our lack so that we adjust, so that we repent, so that we turn towards him. It teaches us, that moment teaches us how to increase our obedience to God. And so in our humility, in our repentance, God fills that lack. And uh, just this last week, Heather Mullen posted a quote on Facebook that I, I just, I loved it because it, it really illustrated this point in a New Testament way. And I want to read it to you. It says, God is so good. I just believe he spoke to me saying that the prayers of his saints are too diluted by the world to make the breakthrough. So I started crying and then he showed me a pictures of all the prayers of heaven falling out over us. He's going to meet the need where we are lacking. He is so good, so full of mercy and always having the upper hand on the enemy. Now, this doesn't mean that we can just live carelessly and who cares? God's going to cover us anyway. Um, this is a serious moment and we want to adjust. We want to repent. We want to turn toward him. But in the midst of it, God is pouring out mercy upon his church to face this moment. You are fully equipped right now. I know some days you might be overwhelmed with fear, with anxiety, with worry. That's why I say anchor your heart on what is true, because God is meeting us in our lack. It's in our weakness that he is strong. And so the supplemental things that we've talked about, the untold story, the Bama podcast, windows into the Bible by Mark Turnage, um, the CDs and the DVDs that I've uh, highlighted over the, la over the last several weeks are going to help us in this series. But please, if, you if you've got questions, you know, we can Zoom and we can have coffee together over Zoom, even though we can't meet in person for coffee. I'd love to talk to you more about some of the things I'm sharing, some of the things I feel like God is showing me. Even as I've been preaching this series, I feel like in some ways I'm totally inadequate to, to really uh, share with you what's going on in my heart because I don't feel like I fully understand it yet. But uh, we're going to continue to grow together through it. Um, if you've got a copy of The Untold Story, you should have read the prologue, introduction, chapters 1 through 4. All of that corresponds with the Old Testament and Luke chapter 1 through 7 that we've been reading over the last week. Um, today we're going to start on Luke 8 and chapter 5 of The Untold Story is what we're going to read for this week. If you haven't got a copy of that book yet, please don't panic. You've literally missed like 12 pages of reading, and they're not really long pages. So get a copy of it this week, and uh, you can catch up really easily. The meat of that book is going to be once we start the book of Acts in two weeks. That's when the meat of that book is really going to come out over the, the next couple of weeks. And so we've been reading through the Gospel of Luke together through the YouVersion uh, Bible app. And I chose Luke for us to read because Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And this book, Luke and Acts, is really a two-volume set that Luke has put together. And so I want us to read it, and I want it to read it slowly. I want you to look closely at, at what you're reading. I want you to interact with the text, continue to put comments and questions online. And here's the thing, I don't have all the answers. So if you want to push back and you want to say, hey, I don't know why you think that. Why, tell me what, what's going on. Where do you see that? Where did you pick that up? 
Because one thing that we as Westerners uh, don't understand, the Eastern culture, when they would debate the scriptures, these, these things would be like spitting matches. I mean, they would be heated and not, not in animosity towards each other. They're wrestling with the text because they feel like in order to come to the full truth of the text, you really got to have it out with one another. And here's the thing. Our relationship isn't dependent on us seeing it the same way. Our relationship is grounded in our relationship with our father through his son. And so we can hash this out and uh, we, we probably won't have a spitting match, but we can wrestle with it together because that's how we're going to understand the truth of the scripture together. And so as we look at this today, we're going to look at this word gospel. The Gospels, according to Matthew, the Gospels, according to Mark and, and Luke and John. And as Westerners, we tend to read the Gospel as if it's a historical written account, like a journalist is putting together this chronological structured telling of events. But each Gospel writer, the way that these things have been set up, the Gospel writers have an agenda. Now, when I say that, you might be like, whoa, they have an agenda? They're, they're not twisting the truth. They're telling an accurate story, but they have in mind what they're trying to get across in this agenda. And that helps us understand why one of the gospel writers puts one story here and the other one puts it here. And these are not chronological, factual, journalistic tellings of what happened. And so when we look at the book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews to present the king of the Jews. That's his agenda. So he's, he's telling the truth. He's telling what actually happened. But he's trying to get across to this Jewish audience, Jesus is the king of the Jews. When Mark writes his gospel, Mark is a Jew writing to Romans, to Westerners. And he is emphasizing the humanity of Jesus, the son of man. And he's talking about the suffering servant. And many times we used to be told, when you first become a believer, read the Gospel of John. But the Gospel of John for a new believer is hard to understand. Now we're starting to tell people, start with the, the Gospel of Mark. Because Mark's written to the Western audience, to the Roman audience. And it presents the humanity of Jesus in a, in a way that maybe clicks with us a little bit better. Um, and so then uh, we come to the Gospel of Luke. And we'll get to Luke's agenda in just a moment. But I want us to look at this word gospel. This word in the Greek is the Greek word euangelion. Uh, euangelion is a Greek word that actually comes on the scene centuries before uh, the Bible authors start writing the gospel. It it's, starts even before the time of Alexander the Great, but Alexander the Great really coins it. Because when Alexander the Great comes to power in the Greek Empire... He talks about, he promotes the gospel of the Greek empire. The good news, that's what that word means. All it means is good news. The good news of the empire of Greece and the savior of the world, Alexander. That's what this means. And so he then begins to unpack the benefits of the, the kingdom of Greece. Education, healthcare, entertainment, athletics, arts, plumbing, even air conditioning. The Greeks had air conditioning uh, in its primitive form way back then. But then when the, the Greek Empire fades and the Roman Empire comes on, 
Now we have a gospel, the good news of the Roman Empire, and Caesar is the savior of the world. There are even Roman temples with inscriptions of the gospel, the good news of the Roman Empire, of Caesar Augustus, the savior of the world, his advent of his gospel of peace, and even referring to his second advent. And so these terms, I don't want you to misunderstand me. This does not minimize the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom. But the reason these words are chosen is because the culture they're in understands these words. In our culture today, people don't understand it in the same sense that they understood it back then. There's a new kingdom. There's a new king. This is a treasonous statement that's being made. So when the gospel, the good news, according to Luke, comes on the scene, this is a, a pronouncement. This flies in the face of the gospel of the Roman Empire. There's a new king that's on the scene, and that's what Luke is trying to tell us. As we've talked about, this tale of two kingdoms. And so I want to look at today the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is not a kingdom of this world. Now, I know that the kingdom of America, the, the empire of America, was founded on Judeo-Christian values, okay? I know that our, our founding fathers had biblical morals and that they, they founded it on that. But can I tell you, the kingdom of America is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom, kingdom of America is a kingdom of this world and it can never be the kingdom of God. Now, as a, a democratic republic, we as believers should be a part of that. We should vote. We should run for office. We should uh, call our legislators. We should promote biblical values. Absolutely. We should use all of this to our full advantage. But please do not put all of your eggs in this basket that the government of America is the savior of the world. It is not. There is a kingdom of God that operates apart from the kingdom of America, and the kingdom of God is here. That's what Jesus came to announce, and I think that's what Luke is going to show us. And in, in, in this idea of the kingdom of heaven, this is something that I believe God has announced all throughout history, all through the story that he's told from Genesis to Revelation. When you look at John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, repent, turn, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Then Jesus comes on the scene. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he says in Luke chapter 4, I must proclaim the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because this is why I was sent. When he tells his apostles to go out in Luke chapter 9, he says to them, Go and proclaim the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, and the benefits. Heal the sick, heal those, uh, heal those, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, work for justice. This is the benefits of the kingdom of God. Go forth proclaiming this good news. When they heard it, they would understand this is a different kingdom. They would they've heard about the gospel of the Roman Empire, and now they're hearing about this gospel of the kingdom that is coming to replace the Roman Empire. Now, they're going to misunderstand that in just a moment. We're going to talk about that. But um, I think of Jesus' words also in Luke chapter 16. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the message of the prophets were your guides. 
you got to understand, this is in, in the synagogue. This is what they would read every single week. They'd read from the law of Moses, the Torah, and they would read from the message of the prophets every single week. But now the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is eager to get in. That word doesn't, that word eager means to be urged to get in, to struggle to get in, to force to get in. Um, it, it's, the, it's with all your strength, with all your very that we've talked about, we're coming into the kingdom. And this is a subversive statement to what is happening with the gospel of the Roman Empire. The last scripture before we get to Luke chapter 1 is I want to show you from Matthew 24, the words of Jesus. Jesus, as he's teaching about end time, says this. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, many of us in, in evangelical circles have taken the gospel of the kingdom. And we have basically boiled it down to Jesus is birth and death and burial and resurrection and what that means for me my personal salvation my personal benefit and me going to heaven and all of that is true but that boils down the message of the kingdom the kingdom of the the the, the gospel of the kingdom is bigger than that the death burial and resurrection of Jesus and salvation for all men is the central part of the gospel of the kingdom it's just not the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the gospel of the kingdom is being preached by Jesus even before his death, burial, and resurrection. This is about the whole world. This isn't just about me and my family. This is the whole world. The gospel of the kingdom is here. And so in Luke chapter 1, uh, we have Luke's agenda, if you will, laid out for us right here at the beginning of his message. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us as they were handed down to us by those who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, we have assumed, for the most part, that Luke is a Gentile writing to a Gentile Theophilus, because both of them have Gentile names. We do know that Luke is a doctor. We know that he's an academic. We know that he's very learned. We also know that he traveled with the Apostle Paul throughout the book of Acts. So he is Paul's traveling companion. Much like Timothy, Paul could have circumcised Luke the way that he did Timothy, not because he needed to, but because Timothy or because Luke has converted to Judaism, because Luke, when he says he has studied it from the beginning, he may not just be talking about from the beginning of Jesus's ministry. He may be talking about he has studied Judaism. He has studied God's story from the beginning. And I believe personally that Luke is writing an account that you can lay beside the readings in the synagogue. When he uses that term right here in, in this beginning passage, the servants of the word, it's the same word that's used for the people in the synagogue that were actually the keepers of the, the scripture. Because every synagogue would not have all of the law and all of the prophets. Remember, they've committed this to memory, but they have maybe one scroll or two scrolls. And so the keeper of the scroll 
would be required to memorize it and also to memorize the scrolls from local synagogues around them because they were the experts. And so what I believe Luke has done in his story, he hasn't told us a chronological story of Jesus's ministry. I think he's given us something that we could lay beside the reading of the Torah, the reading of Moses, the reading of the prophet, and a reading from the gospel according to Luke, and it could be read every week in the synagogue to give us a fuller understanding of the, the gospel of the kingdom that is from the beginning. And uh, that's my, I mean, there are scholars that agree with that. There are scholars that disagree with that. But I think that's what Luke has drawn up for us. And I don't know that... Uh, even the word Theophilus means friend of God. Now, Luke could have been writing to one man named Theophilus, or he could have been writing his gospel to anyone who is a friend of God. Uh, again, you know, not wanting this gospel of the kingdom maybe to latch on to one person, but to be spread throughout the empire. Now, Theoph Theophilus could be one guy. But I don't believe Luke intended just one guy to read this message. I believe Luke intended all of us to read this story. And so as we've read this week, we've read the prophecies about John the Baptist and about Jesus. We've read the birth of Jesus and the childhood of Jesus. Luke gives us way more than uh, some of the other uh, gospel authors give us. He covers the, the Baptist, John the Baptist ministry, the baptism of Jesus. He covers the genealogy and he traces his genealogy all the way back to Adam, the beginning. Okay, Matthew, when Matthew gives us a genealogy, he only traces it back to Abraham. Why? Because he's writing to the Jews, Father Abraham. I think Luke's gone all the way back to the beginning with his gospel to help us understand this has been the story all along, that God is in this thing. And I get so excited when I think about this. I hope you get at least half as excited as I do. But then uh, he tells us about his fasting and temptation in the wilderness. And then coming out of that, Luke tells us a story uh, out of order from the other gospels. Because even as Luke tells us this story, he's going to reference Jesus has already been doing other ministry. This isn't his first place of ministry, but Luke tells us it first, and I think there's a reason for it. So if you're with me, in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. See, he's been teaching. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. See, Jesus was a good Jew. On the Sabbath, he was in the synagogue. It was his custom. And that's where he is. And he, he stood up, apparently as a traveling minister. He's been invited to, to take part in the synagogue service. And he stands up and he reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, who has been handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Now, the reference, again, this idea that uh, they all spoke well of him is just a, a, a tribute to Jesus and his upbringing in his hometown. There's nothing bad to say about this guy. Okay? They all spoke well of him, but they're perplexed by his gracious words because Jesus is actually reading from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And what he has done is he has cut off this passage. He has cut off the idea of the vengeance of our God. He's proclaimed the favor of the, of the Lord, but he cut off the passage, the rest of that passage that says, and the day of the vengeance of our God. Because the Roman occupation has now led the Jews here to believe that redemption for them is going to coincide with judgment on their enemies. Okay, God's going to proclaim the year of favor, and that's going to set them free from the Roman occupancy, and then it's going to judge their, their enemies. But what Jesus has done by breaking this verse in half is he has declared that the, the year of God's favor has already dawned. But this is not a day of God's vengeance. This is a day of God's mercy. He's also added in something from Isaiah 58, verse 6. This phrase, to set the oppressed free, is not found in Isaiah chapter 61. Now, all of them sitting in the synagogue have committed this to memory. They understand what Jesus has done. They're not like, what's he talking about? Where's he reading from? They don't have copies of the scripture like you and I to look through. They have committed the Torah. They've committed the prophets to memory. They know what Jesus has done. That's why they're perplexed. They don't know. He's taken two passages and he's put them together. But there's a reason that he's put them together. If you go to Isaiah chapter 58, this is where we, we alluded to this last week. This is where Isaiah the prophet is prophesying a judgment on the people. He says, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed, for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord. That phrase is the same phrase from Isaiah 61, where it's the day of, that's favorable, the year of the Lord that's favorable. It's the same Hebrew phrase. And so what Jesus has done, and all scholars would agree, he's allowed to do this. He's allowed to take this, because Isaiah links these two by using this phrase. And so he, Jesus has linked this, setting the oppressed free. This is the kind of fast God says, I've chosen. Loose the chains of the injustice. Untie the cords of the yoke. Set the oppressed free. Now, Isaiah 58 is a rebuke for the Jews because they've neglected their calling as a kingdom of priests. They have neglected their calling and they are not understanding that they've been called to be this message. And so what Jesus is doing is he's calling them back. He's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to agitate them. He's saying, you have neglected your calling as Jews. I have called you to be a kingdom of priests, to, to declare to people that the kingdom of God is here. The, the gospel, the good news, it's a good news for even the Gentiles. You've shut the door to the Gentiles. You have not been the message. You've not been a kingdom of priests. You've not done what I've asked you to do. If you read through the prophets, almost every single prophet, if not every prophet, 
judges and cast judgment on the people because they have failed to care for the poor. They have failed to care for the foreigner. They have failed to care for the widow and the orphan. They have failed to, to be God's message to the least of these. This is at the very heart of the story that everyone hear this message. And Jesus goes on. If we go back to Luke chapter 4, Jesus continues his message with this. In, in verse 23, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, there were many widows in Israel in, Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd on his way. See, the people are furious because they understand what Jesus has done. This message is not just for you. You have kept it in the borders of Israel. This was a message God has always been trying to get out beyond the borders of Israel. God is merciful. God is just. Remember, Jonah didn't like that God was going to be merciful to the Ninevites. He didn't want to preach to them because he figured if they would repent, God would be merciful. And he wanted judgment on the, his enemies. And God's like, I want to pour out mercy on my enemies. And I want to read to you a quote by Mark Turnage. And this quote is actually something that, um, that Mark writes in his book, Windows into the, the Bible. And this quote kind of puts some light on what's taking place here in Luke chapter 4. And so Mark Turnage writes these words. He knew that his listeners yearned for God's redemption. And he acknowledged that through him, God's reign was breaking forth. But his inclusion of Isaiah 5 through 8 into his reading sent the message that if you want true redemption, when your light shall burst forth like the dawn, your healing will spring up quickly. Then your fasting, repentance must be evidenced by the show of charity, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, bringing the homeless into your home. If the people would show charity to the poor and care for those in need, God would respond to such repentance and bring forth the redemption Israel looked for. In this way, Jesus identified charity as the things that make for peace between Israel and their father in heaven. Jesus concluded his message in Nazareth by giving two examples of God showing mercy, charity to the Gentiles outside of the covenant community of Israel to foreigners. He referenced Elijah going to the Sidonian woman and Elisha helping the Syrian Naaman. God too showed mercy to outsiders, therefore so should we. Or as Jesus stated elsewhere, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. This humane spirit provoked Jesus' audience in Nazareth and it still provokes those who have ears to hear him. 
Jesus did not view righteousness as philanthropy. He, it carried a redemptive power for individuals as they stored up treasure in heaven and for the nation of Israel. What I think Jesus is doing is he's calling us back to this message. Be my message. Be the kingdom of priests. He is challenging them to come back to God's story. And so what do we take away? Give me just a few more moments of your time. And I want to tell you what we should, what I think we should take away from this moment, from Jesus and his, really his rebuke of the people of Nazareth because they were missing God's redemptive story. The first thing I think we need to take away is that the gospel of the kingdom demands total allegiance. When the people in this day heard the gospel of the kingdom, they understood, just like the gospel of the Roman Empire, that, that Caesar demands your total allegiance. God is saying, if you want the gospel of the kingdom, it demands your total allegiance. Look at the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. This is a call to total allegiance to God in his kingdom. It's to surrender everything to him. We have kind of made the gospel of Jesus just that he died for my sins. Just invite him into my heart. Just keep living here on the earth in the kingdom of the world. And, you know, just add enough of what Jesus said, his good teachings to my life. Jesus did not declare that. He declared total allegiance to the gospel of the kingdom. Even, listen to me, even to the point of laying down our lives for this message. You know, in America, we fight for our rights. Our rights should not be taken away from us. You should allow me to, to preach unhindered. But can I tell you something? The gospel of the kingdom says, if you take my life, I will still believe. I will still trust. I have put my hope in you. These words are echoed in the, the, the chapter in Revelation, chapter 12, verse 11. The, the believers triumphed over the enemy, over Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by what Jesus did, and by the word of their testimony. What's the word of their testimony? That they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. If there's anything we need to hear right now in all the chaos that's happening around us is we should not love our lives as to shrink from death. We should give total allegiance to God and trust he's in control of my life, my breath. He's in control of whether. Or the advice of our political leaders, I believe we're called to be good citizens of the kingdoms of the world. But we are called to give total allegiance to the kingdom of God and to put our soul trust in him. 
Our provision doesn't come from a government stimulus check. It comes from Jehovah Jireh, our provider, revealed all the way back in the book of Genesis. This is the same story that God has been telling throughout history. And it's a story that he wants us to tell the people in the world. There's good news. You can turn from your way. You can turn from sin. You can turn from your life. You can turn from the kingdoms of the world and you can turn to the kingdom of God and find entrance through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you can promote mercy over people because of that. The second thing I think we need to take away is just that, that we continue to announce the good news of the kingdom. We need to be sharing it verbally. We need to be demonstrating it. We need to be the message. We need to proclaim good news to the poor. We need to be sent to the freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We need to be telling people, acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your guilt, come freely to the cross, give yourself fully to this gospel message of the kingdom, and continue to learn how to walk in obedience to God. As we go through this time of, literally this time of testing, this time that is revealing whether or not we've put full allegiance in the kingdom. I think this shaking that has come on our earth right now is really showing us as believers whether or not we have put our trust in God, whether we've put our trust in our bank accounts, whether we've put our trust in our jobs. I mean, all of this is being revealed, not to make us feel bad about ourselves, but to show us our lack so that we can humble ourselves before God. We can adjust. We can say, no, God, I want total allegiance to you. I want to totally obey you. I want to give myself to you. When God shows us our lack, when he experiences us with, with us in our testings, it's not to, so that we can just be left to ourselves. He's going to put mercy in to fill in the gaps. But he only gives mercy when we humble ourselves, when we repent, and when we in turn give mercy to others. What is this message, this gospel of the kingdom that Luke alluded to? I want to read one last passage of scripture together. Mark Turnage alluded to this also in Luke chapter 6. And I want us to read this together. This is the message that I think we need to be proclaiming in our world today to be living out. Jesus says, to those of you who are listening, I say this, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. These are challenging words, but can I tell you something? If you are refusing to do good to people that hate you, if you are refusing to bless those who curse you, if you are refusing to actively love, not just ignore your enemies, but wanting to see God bless your enemies, if you're like the people of Nazareth sitting there listening to Jesus's words and you're like, God, I'm, I'm just going to ignore that, that person that's hurt me, that, that enemy. I'm going to just let you handle them. But you're not actively trying to get God's blessing and mercy on them. You're not praying it on them. You, that's a lack in our allegiance to this gospel of the kingdom. Okay, we need to repent of that. We need to say, God, mercy on our enemies. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. If they take your coat, don't withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. 
And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He's merciful. Be merciful just as your Father in Heaven is merciful. And as Mark told us, this is not just a way to transform our lives. These acts of charity are demonstrations of the kingdom of God, the power of God. We believe that as we do these things, we are actually overcoming evil with good. We are actually releasing the kingdom of God. In, in the book of Acts, when we get there, this is how the early church lived. They started selling everything. They started sharing with those who were in need. This is what we've been called to do because it's a demonstration of our total allegiance to the kingdom of God. I think we've misunderstood this gospel of the kingdom. And I want to challenge you as we keep reading through the gospel of Luke. Slow down. Read it slowly. Look for this gospel of the kingdom. Look for these minute messages. Interact with it. Ask questions with each other on the, the YouTube version uh, of that Bible app. And let's look for this gospel of the kingdom and start living it out. Now, please do not misunderstand me. Later on, the gospel writers are going to tell us how we live in the gospel of the kingdom. You know, about sexual immorality and about lying and about all these other things that, that are a part of the gospel of the kingdom. But this is a central part of the gospel message. And I honestly feel like this is a part of the gospel message that has been left out of the evangelical church for a very long time. When we talk about righteousness... We don't talk about charity. We don't talk about caring for orphans, caring for widows. We don't talk about foreigners. We don't talk about opening our borders to those that, that are, are, are refugees. This is just as much a part of the gospel of the kingdom as uh, standing up for the rights of the unborn as standing up for every other right that we stand up for in this nation. And so this is a call to make sure that we're hearing and declaring the gospel of the kingdom. We don't want to just preach, uh, you know, a gospel of our own making. We want to preach the gospel of the kingdom in every nation, in every language, and in every tribe. And so I challenge you in this week ahead, go back, read over these messages. Go back and listen to this message. I know I put a ton of stuff in here. Uh, you know, people tell me that all the time. They're like, wow, you put so much in there. You can go back and listen to it over and over and over and over again. Uh, trust me, I have poured into these things. I have poured into the scripture. I've poured into to different uh, resources to help me connect different passages of scripture. And I've yet to even scratch the surface of everything that God has hidden for us in his word. And so I want to challenge you. Let's keep digging into this together. Let's keep growing in this together. And let's trust God. Even in this time of apparent crisis in our land, I promise you, God has fully equipped us by the power of his indwelling spirit, by the power of his word, by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness in this moment, not just to survive the COVID-19 crisis, but to thrive in it. 
And I know that God is going to do some great things in these weeks ahead and coming out of this time. I'm believing for a third point great awakening to sweep across this nation like never before. And it's not time to just pray for it. It's time to release it. It's time to start now. And so begin to pray, God, what do I need to do? Go back and read Isaiah 58, Isaiah 61, Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 6. And let's keep reading through the gospel of Luke and we'll keep unpacking it together. But before I, I let you go today, I want to pray a blessing over you. I pray it every week and I'm going to keep praying it over you. I've been praying it over you this week, uh, even in my own personal prayer time. And I want to pray for you today. And so, Father, I just say thank you, God, for the confidence we have today in you. You are the same God yesterday, today and forever. And God, I thank you that even in this time of crisis and, and tragedy and pain and hardship and fear all around us, God, that we have hope. God, I thank you that even though we've lost friends in this community this last week, God, we thank you that even in our grief, we grieve with hope. And God, if we could talk to them today, none of them would want to return to this earth. God, they have found peace. They are with you. God, they have seen you. They are receiving their reward. But God, I pray a challenge to every single one of us that are left. God, to hear this message of the gospel of the kingdom and to eagerly enter into it. God, to eagerly declare this message, to be the kingdom of priests that you have always wanted us to be on this earth. God, reconciling people to you, proclaiming this message and being this message in our homes, in every relationship, in our social media, God, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, God, even beyond this time of COVID-19, that the things that you are doing in our hearts would be lasting changes. And so, God, I pray that you would cause these things to take deep root in our hearts today. God, put down, that we would put down deep roots into the soil of your love and this revelation of your kingdom. Now, God, I pray your blessing over all of those that are watching this message right now or listening to this message right now. God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them. God, that you would lift up your countenance upon them, that you would give them peace. I release your shalom over every person, every individual, every home, over our, our city, our county, God, our state, our nation, and our world. Your shalom today. God, I release it. In the name of Jesus, be gracious to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. We look forward to interacting with you this week on Zoom and uh, interacting with you online again next week. God bless you.